Welcome to the BioCurious Podcast, a place for you to be curious about your biology and discover new ways to upgrade and optimize your mind, body, and human performance. The guests on this podcast are trained experts in the fields of functional health, holistic wellness, and biohacking who share my passion to provide useful and actionable information with all of you that I hope will help you to live your best life. I'm so happy that you're here, and I'm excited to get curious together. If you or a loved one have type 2 diabetes and are on insulin, or if you struggle with weight, this episode should be really helpful. And please share it with your friends who might benefit from the information. So today we're talking about biohacking diabetes and obesity with Dr. Asta Kalra, who specializes in obesity medicine and metabolic health care. She's board certified in internal medicine and the physician founder of Weight Zero MD, which focuses on diabetes reversal. Dr. Kalra implicates sugar as the number one culprit driving the obesity epidemic, type 2 diabetes, and heart disease. On this episode, you will hear what lifestyle medicine is and how it can be used to treat chronic diseases like diabetes and heart disease how preventative medicine works, what diabetes reversal is, how to reverse type 2 diabetes naturally and without medication, the most effective treatment for diabetes and obesity reversal, why fasting is key, how glucose metabolism works, what insulin resistance is and what causes it, why insulin is typically prescribed for diabetes treatment, and why insulin is not the appropriate treatment for it, how insulin causes fat storage, why it's important to pay attention to the glycemic index of foods, the difference between simple and complex carbs for glucose metabolism, why people with insulin resistance need to avoid all carbs, including complex carbs, the easiest and most effective protocol for intermittent fasting, why snacking is really unhealthy, the issues with hormonal imbalance and intermittent fasting, the additional health benefits of intermittent fasting, why a low-carb or ketogenic diet should be paired with fasting, the key nutritional factor responsible for the obesity and diabetes epidemic, the three foods we should all avoid, and the difference between medical treatment and true health care. Thank you so much for joining me on the BioCurious podcast. I am super excited to talk today about biohacking, diabetes, and obesity. And before we get into all that, um, can you tell us a little bit about your background and and how you got started in this work? Sure. So, so I my background is I'm a physician. I trained in internal medicine. I'm board certified. Um, Since residency, I have treated a lot of patients with type 2 diabetes and with obesity. I was always more interested in preventative medicine. And slowly, I started, you know, I, the first, usually in medical training, the way we treat, treat type 2 diabetes is by prescribing insulin and it's by using medications. Basically treating the symptoms, not the cause, right? Right. So like I said, I enjoyed preventative medicine and I, want, I kept my focus more on preventative medicine. 
I love the term de-prescribing because how many, how many doctors can, or how many times can you go into the doctor's office and expect to be unprescribed from your prescriptions? I mean, that's amazing. So yeah. So tell me a little bit more about patients who are, who are struggling with obesity, how you work with them to de-prescribe medication kind of lifestyle practices are involved in that. Sure. So I use various tools for that. And the focus is lifestyle modification. Um, So, you know, initially when I see my patients in the clinic, I usually check a full set of labs uh, when they come in. Then we go over, we, we go to the underlying physiology and underlying pathology of the disease. And I use various tools and we focus more on lifestyle modifications. The tools that we use for type 2 diabetes reversal are either low-carbohydrate diets and a lot of intermittent fasting. Mm, That's really interesting. Uh, You're using intermittent fasting, especially um, in a low-carb diet, potentially something similar to the keto diet, I would assume, for as treatment. Can you tell me a little bit more about that and, and how, like, specifically the intermittent fasting, how that helps with people with diabetes? No, ultimately, it's going back to the, to the basics. So fasting is different. You know, whenever we talk about fasting, even though there are so many studies, whenever we w- mention the word fasting, even to physicians, there's a lot of eye rolling. So fasting is not starvation. You know, ultimately, I want to clarify that. Um, starvation is an involuntary period of, star- of withholding food. And Fasting is controlled act of withholding food. So it's based on basic physiology. Whenever we eat anything, you know, whether there's three macronutrients, so there's carbohydrates, there's proteins, and there's fats. So whenever we consume carbohydrates, it gets broken down into glucose. And the the way glucose is metabolized in the body is by a hormone called as insulin. Um, So insulin, I like to describe it as a gatekeeper or like a key hormone where the way it works is it opens the gates into the cells. So let's say you eat anything, any kind of carbohydrates, it gets broken down into glucose and that there's all this glucose floating around in the blood, right? So it needs to get metabolized, gets gets to get inside the cells. So insulin is like a key which opens the gate to the cells and drives the glucose into the cells. The problem with diabetes is, is, that, is that the key is not working properly. So there's an excess glucose floating around all the time. And it's the same problem with insulin resistance. So, so that's what carbohydrates do. They produce high amounts of insulin. And insulin is a fat storage hormone. Proteins also produce some insulin, but it's not as, not as much. And fats barely cause any insulin production. So the basic physiology is either by low carbohydrate diets or by fasting, what we're doing is we're decreasing the total amount of insulin in the body. So there isn't any insulin and there isn't, you know, there isn't any fat storage that it does. I love that you explain it that way. And I love that you say um, insulin is the gatekeeper. Can you tell us a little bit more about uh, how different carbohydrates affect your blood sugar? Sure. So every food has some kind of glycemic index, right? So the thought is that um, complex carbohydrates um, or simple carbohydrates, so complex, simple carbohydrates can be, are usually single sugars. They are usually made up of one or two sugar molecules. 
And, um, and, you know, as such, it doesn't take much for the body to break them down and absorb them as glucose into the bloodstream. So typically, they raise blood glucose much faster and higher than the complex carbohydrates. So complex carbohydrates are starches, and they are made up of longer chains of sugar molecules. It makes it a little bit difficult or longer to digest. So definitely, you know, the healthier, comp uh, the healthier carbohydrates are, are the complex carbohydrates, and they are usually less processed, so they can be whole grains, they can be like non-starchy vegetables and legumes. So those are all good, but they are good for people who don't have much insulin resistance. But imagine people with type 2 diabetes, for them, even eating, high, even eating complex carbohydrates such as whole grains is still going to lead to production of some glucose. And the underlying problem is with glucose metabolism. So in order to reverse type 2 diabetes, you know, we usually need to hit them harder with some aggressive intermittent fasting or really low carbohydrate diets such as ketogenic diets. That's really interesting uh, because there are lots of benefits of intermittent fasting, but I think that there are some drawbacks as well, especially mm -hmm. for women who have to be careful about their hormone levels and how that's affected by what they're eating. But for somebody, let's say somebody just has like an extra 20 pounds that they want to lose. They don't seem to uh, have any issues with uh, insulin resistance or, or blood sugar. Would you recommend other lifestyle changes or would you recommend intermittent fasting for that person? I, I would, you know, I would recommend usually. Um, so the most popular method of intermittent fasting is something called as 16 to 8, eight method, which mm -hmm. is the mean gains protocol. Anybody can do fasting. So, you know, fasting is one of the most time-tested and ancient traditions. Every culture, you know, there's some kind of fasting, right? So there's always feasting and there's, I always tell my patients, okay, there's a time to feast and then there's a time to fast. This is how you balance it out. So one of the most common and popular methods is, you know, is 16 to 8 method, which is also the lean gains protocol. It can be very simple just as skipping breakfast and restricting, restricting your daily eating period to about eight hours or so, such as between one to seven or 8 p.m. Um, and then you fast for 16 hours in between. Um, so that every, anybody can do. Uh, but you know, the problem with the society is that we, you know, we snack too much. If you go, you know, if you, what did your grandmother tell you, Kayla, when you were literal, right? Like don't snack. This is, we do some completely something opposite now. We tell yeah. our clients and we tell our clients to eat small meals five to six times a day. And every time we're eating, we're producing this excess insulin and insulin beta fat storage hormone. This is what it does. And that's why I hate that myth where, where people think, oh, it's better if I eat multiple small meals per day or just continuously eat all throughout the day. But right. the fact is they're not giving their body a break to actually metabolize what they've eaten because they're just they're just stacking more and more food on top of what's already there what's already trying to be broken down so instead of the body processing everything that has already been eaten and focusing on where it's taking it to the body it has to re put the energy back into the beginning process of metabolism and so you're, you're never quite getting through that entire process. Right, 
do you have any, is, if people are having hormonal issues like adrenal fatigue or certain things like that, um, do you have any special recommendations or would you not recommend intermittent fasting or have any like precautions that those folks should take? Of course, when you have, when the adrenal glands are overtaxed, that's what call, that's what's caused as adrenal fatigue or adrenal exhaustion. Mm-hmm. And it can actually set a cascade of disease processes into motion. Um, so of course, you know, fasting should be done under physician supervision and sometimes it should be avoided. But for most people, everybody can do some kind of intermittent fasting. The only time I tell my patients not to fast is either when they are pregnant or when they have a low BMI of less than 18. Um, I don't encourage my patients, like, of course, I don't encourage that fasting to kids because they need proper nutrition, nutritious meals to grow up. Mm -hmm. Other than that, you know, if there's any underlying medical problems, then everybody can do some kind of intermittent fasting. Of course, sometimes it needs to be done under physician supervision, especially with type 2 diabetes. The only reason I bring up uh, the hormonal issue is because that's actually the only time when I am a little hesitant to, um, to you know, rave about all the benefits of intermittent fasting because I know that the body, for instance, let's think of the body as like a bucket and if you fill the bucket too full with stress, it even can be positive or negative stress. So it could be work. It could be exercise as a form of stress. It could be your relationships. It could be um, school. It could be your bills, whatever. Um, all these different areas of stress and your body has a certain threshold. And then at some point, once that threshold is surpassed, then that's when you have all of these imbalances, which like you said, leads to disease. And so when I know people aren't really managing their stress, um, I don't like to recommend things that add to that stress. So intermittent fasting, although it's a positive way to put stress on your body, it still is stress. And it's the same thing with like exercise. I wouldn't recommend that somebody go into like a high intensity interval training workout routine. um, If their stress levels are unmanaged. Right. Oh, totally. Yeah. And I agree with that. And that said, you know, ultimately when we're talking about intermittent fasting, especially using it for diabetes reversal or for therapeutic purposes, my patients typically do longer fasts, Mm -hmm. but overall like small fasts or short intermittent fasting, like 16 to 8, it's also been shown to decrease inflammation and actually instantly mm-hmm. lowering the need for cortisol. So we see that all the time. I would usually check cortisol level on my patients when they come in, you know, when they see me initially and yeah. I would send it. And once they've been doing some kind of smaller intermittent fasting, which is something that has worked out, we see it actually go down as well. Yeah, that, it can be used for a tool to actually help with adrenal fatigue in the right situation. So I totally agree with you. I think intermittent fasting, when people ask, um, I often say that that is my favorite, um, at least nutritional biohack, because it has been the most impactful thing that I have ever found as far as anything that I can do and immediately reap the benefits, the mental clarity, the energy, the um, just feeling really uh, full of vitality and energy is, is the greatest benefit from my perspective. 
I agree with you. And you know, you don't need any preparation. You don't need any tools. You don't even need to spend money on it, right? All you need is just knowing about it and, you know, trying to try it out. And I always mm -hmm. tell my colleagues and peers just to be, sometimes we get a little bit inflexible, you know, even as physicians, but it's very important to remain a little bit flexible and try it out and see how it's working for your patients. Even for patients, I tell them to try it out. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But most of the time they come back and they, you know, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The only time um, I've ever heard from somebody that they didn't do well with intermittent fasting, they're not getting proper nutrition during their eight hour feeding period. Or even if they're only doing a 14 hour fast, um, sometimes what they're eating during their eating period is causing them to feel sick because they're not, when it is time to eat, they're not providing their body with the nutrition that is needed, right. especially to replenish from a fast. Right. I agree. Or not, they're not drinking enough water or fluids mm -hmm. that can yeah. help that too. Do you recommend specific lifestyle habits as far as eating right. that you recommend for people who are doing an intermittent fast? So usually, since I see most of my patients have type 2 diabetes, and those, mm -hmm. are the, those are the patients who need to follow with the physician who mm -hmm. understands it. So of course, I usually see it, it works really well with low-carbohydrate diets. Again, the idea is to decrease the amount of insulin. So yeah. if less of insulin, it's easier to control diabetes. It's easier to get my patients off of insulin or to decrease the medication requirement for type 2 diabetes. You also re recommend to, for them to get high quality fats? I do. And I keep an eye on cholesterol levels. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, the problem with the ketogenic diets right now, and they're well, not a problem, but what we need to do is we need to see more of cardiovascular outcome studies. So we need mm -hmm. to, because, you know, a lot of times there's a little bit of resistance as far as ketogenic diets, um, as to typically we see, we see that the, it's about 5% of patients where cholesterol will go up after starting a ketogenic diet. And in those situations, we will tell them to cut down on the saturated fat. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, ultimately, if you look at the breakdown of cholesterol, uh, there's a good cholesterol and the bad cholesterol. The only thing that's been shown to increase the good cholesterol is actually saturated fats and exercise. And so, so yeah, so in general, um, in general, my approach is, I know in, on internet, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of myths and there's too much information about eating like 100 grams of carbo of fats or 200 grams of fat, <laughs> uh, eating like drinking bulletproof coffee. So mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't typically recommend that. I usually tell my patients to focus on carbohydrate. So keep it less than 50 grams of carbohydrates and even better if they can do less than 30. Um, mm -hmm. do intermediate protein and then fat should be to satiety. You know, it's not necessary that you need to consume a certain amount of butter every day, but it right. should, should be to satiety. Yeah. I think people who, especially people who kind of go along with the fads, the fad diets that are out there, they take it a little too far. Um, and, and for me, it's kind of everything in moderation. And so I don't think that a ketogenic diet is right for everyone. Um, I think there's a lot of people that it wouldn't suit. But that being said, it's kind of like intermittent fasting where um, most people will benefit from it if done right. 
But also the problem is I've seen some of these Instagram accounts where it's like keto, whatever the name of the person is. And, um, and then you look on their feed and they're eating like burgers out from a restaurant and French fries. And, and I'm like, okay, this is not, this isn't the point of ketogenic diet. The point is to get, you know, high quality, healthy fats. Right. And so not necessary. And it's also not to put sticks of butter on every single thing. If you actually look into what the initial bulletproof coffee is, it's grass fed ghee and MCT oil specifically. It's not butter. Right. Um, So if people are following that sort of lifestyle where they are eating the right types of fat paired with, again, low carbohydrate, low sugar, not eating very much processed food, getting enough exercise, getting enough sleep, then likely they're going to have a lot of benefits from it. Right, right. right. And I agree with you, like you said, that ketogenic diet, ultimately, it's not supposed to be you know, it's not supposed to be processed food. So it's, it's very easy to know what a processed food is, right? Anything mm-hmm. in a box is processed, right? I mean, yeah. box, it's like no rocket science. And, you know, I mean, the food industry, it's like more than $2 trillion, like in 2016, 17, that, that's what the sales were over $2 trillion. Mm. So every, you know, there's a lot of, um, we talk about it as an obesogenic environment. There's a lot of you know, processed food around us, and that's the underlying problem for the type 2 diabetes and the okay. obesity epidemic. Um, and ultimately, you know, the, the idea is to use food as medicine and stick to real foods. Yep. <laughs> that's, when it gets down to the basics, if nothing else, there are three components that I would recommend that everyone follow. And it has nothing to do with keto. It has nothing to do with paleo. It has nothing to do with uh, low carb necessarily. But um, basically it is one, cut out all processed food if you can't, if not all, then as much as possible, meaning that you get your food as close to the source as possible, as often as possible. Two, cut out sugar. Um, absolutely all processed sugar, but if, if you can also cut out all sugar, you'll be way better off. Even, you know, our beloved honey is still not great if you're eating a lot of it. And then the third one is just to make sure that you're eating organic whole foods and that you're careful when you cook your food so that you're not making them carcinogenic. Like for instance, if you heat olive oil in a frying pan, you're going to get rid of all the benefits of the olive oil and it's actually going to harm you. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to remember that. That's great. Yeah. And I also use a mnemonic for this. It's a little bit different, but I use that for type two diabetes reversal. Um, So I I tell my patients to avoid three things in the beginning, which Mm -hmm. is GPS. So that's grains, potatoes, and sugar. So yeah. especially when you're trying to you know, reverse your type 2 diabetes, because the underlying problem is with metabolizing glucose. Avoid your, your GPS. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So especially in the beginning. Yeah, I think. And that's the way to kind of approach it is, especially anybody getting started, let's say that they're going from whatever lifestyle they're used to and they're just getting started wanting to make a change, lose weight, um, get more energy, get better mental clarity and focus, then the best way is to start really simple 
and with the things that are going to have the greatest impact. And so, you know, getting rid of the toxins out of your food, the processed food, controlling your sugar intake and getting whole natural foods as often as possible. If you make those changes, um, you're going to start feeling better and have more energy to do some of the more complex things. I think that a lot of people have the misconception that once you um, get diabetes and you're on insulin, Mm -hmm. that there is no way to get off of insulin after that, that it's kind of a permanent. So can you tell us a little bit about that? I know that you can reverse it, but is there a point to which folks are not able to reverse their diabetes? So type 2 diabetes is reversible. Um, you know, we always think of it as it as a chronic disease, mm-hmm. um, and there's a belief that it's a progressive disease and it's incurable. Uh, but now, you know, there is so many studies, even on low carbohydrate diets and ketogenic diets, how type two diabetes can actually be reversed. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I see my pa- I see patients now who come on these highly concentrated insulin, like U100, which is a really highly concentrated insulin. And I mean, we're able to get them off or bring the dose significantly lower by either using intermittent fasting and, uh, it, and using a low carbohydrate diets. Uh, the point where it becomes uh, irreversible, there's, there's actually, you know, the short answer is it depends. Um, So for people who have suffered complications of diabetes, is it possible to reverse those? Let's say people who already have kidney disease from type 2 diabetes progress to end-stage renal disease, or people who have, you know, any kind of amputations or serious long-term side, you know, long-term complications of it, probably that's harder to reverse. But the disease itself, we are learning that it it is reversible. So glad that you are here to tell us about this because I think um, a lot of times, like you said, there's just a lot of information out there and there's a lot of really bad information out there and it can be hard to listen or know who to listen to and know who's going to provide the right information. So especially around, you know, medical conditions like diabetes that a lot of people are very afraid of because like you said, it's categorized as a chronic disease. It's, it's thought of as incurable. And so the fact that people do have control and the ability to change their diabetes status, uh, at least type two diabetes is amazing. And I think that we need to put this messaging out there more widely because I think a lot of people are under that misconception. Mm -hmm. Right. The underlying problem is, you know, the way we have, we have learned, we have come to treat diabetes is, so I read a quote saying that, you know, when insulin was actually discovered by Sir Banting, um, it was, you know, before, before that, the way we used to treat diabetes was actually by low carbohydrate diets. So if you open a text, medical textbook from like hundred years ago, the treatment for type two diabetes was actually to but to avoid sugar, avoid flour, avoid any kind of starches. This is how we used to treat it. But over a period of time, when we, you know, when insulin was discovered, uh, we started treating diabetes just by giving more insulin. So if you check, like if you check um, insulin levels in somebody who has type 2 diabetes, 
the levels are not low. The level in blood is actually high. The problem is that insulin is just not working properly. So, you know, it's like packing the suitcase and, you know, there is like you're filling the, filling the suitcase and let's say if you're traveling, it's like packing your clothes in a suitcase. At the first go, you can get your clothes in and then once you start putting in more and more clothes, you can't close it, right? So this is what insulin resistance is, that there's so much of it that you, it's like way harder to work against it. The problem is that insulin level is high and it's just not working. And what we're doing is we're throwing in more insulin and that's how we're treating it. So the problem is we're not treating it correctly. <laughs> and uh, you know, the way to treat it is correct, correctly is actually by lifestyle modifications. It's interesting that a lot of a lot of the things that we're finding now in modern medicine and modern uh, medical research is that the old things are becoming the new things again. And really they were the more effective treatments all along. Um, for instance, like heliotherapy, which is, uh, you know, just getting natural sunlight mm -hmm. that was used a hundred years ago or more for multiple conditions. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of went by the wayside with some of these other modern uh, medical technologies. And, you know, people would rather um, take a pill than to go sit outside for a half an hour. Right. And, and so because we want instant gratification and we don't want to really work for it. And because <clears throat> technology allows for that, right. um, I think people have moved away from some of these really, really effective, natural, holistic health practices that can cure chronic diseases and all other sorts of ailments. Mm -hmm. Right. Totally. I agree with you. Yeah. It's fascinating. I'm really excited that this is the way that, um, that medicine is moving and that, you know, natural medicine and lifestyle-based medicine and food as medicine and and movement as medicine is starting to become popular again, because I feel like we're getting back to the way it should be and back to the way that your body really thrives. Right. That's what Hippocrates said, right? Like you yeah. said, like medicine. Exactly. Yeah. So he knew all along. Yes. <laughs> yes. So besides intermittent fasting and a low carbohydrate diet, are there any other like major lifestyle recommendations that you have a lot of your patients do as far as for either diabetes or obesity? So, I mean, stress reduction is definitely one of the things that we focus on. So some, you know, some like, I mean, as we see that all the time in, in this stressful time, but, you know, people, people have high paced jobs and very hectic lifestyle and we check the cortisol level and up, it's up through the roof. So definitely mm -hmm. stress itself is known precursor for type two diabetes as well as reverse, as well as obesity. So we definitely focus on that as well, how to decrease it. Um, so, you know, we do encourage some kind of, we do encourage more group, group visits and, you know, more supportive environment within our program. And because that's what we feel our patients need. Mm. Yeah, I love that you really take a, a kind of holistic lifestyle approach with your patients because it's so hard to find a doctor that's willing to take the time to work with their patients like that. And I think that that's a lot of what the problem is, is 
it's much, much easier just to prescribe insulin to your patient than it is to work with them, monitor their diet, give them recommendations, have them come back in, check back in with you, um, make tweaks to their lifestyle recommendations. And really, you know, it could take a year for them to get into, into the right habits that are going to be really effective for as treatment. And a lot of doctors just, one, don't have the time, nor do they want to spend the time working with each patient in that way. Right, right. And, you know, um, I mean, if you look at the, so for people who are, they have like severe diabetes or if they have, they're morbidly obese, I mean, the studies have shown that the quality of life for people with morbid, morbid obesity is actually the same as patients with cancer. So that's mm-hmm. what, and, and you know, the way, I mean, unfortunately, we have a lot of, pre, we look at them with a lot of prejudice and there's a lot of shame against the word and there's a lot of guilt. And we try to help our patients overcome that because it's a disease. It's nobody's mm-hmm. fault. Of course, it's the food environment around us. It's the processed food and obesogenic environment. But other than that, there's a lot of genetics. There's a lot of hormones that are, you know, that, that are adding to that. And of course, stress. So we try to take our approach, you know, we, we try to like help our patients. It's called health care because you're actually supposed to be caring for right. your patient and you're not caring for your patient if you're just trying to, you know, give them the fastest treatment, even though it may not be the most effective or it might not be the best option for them. Right. Um, and a lot of times, because we're in such a hurry, we're really just treating the symptoms. Like I would even argue saying that if, uh, if somebody who's morbidly obese comes into their doctor and that is their complaint that they want to lose weight and the doctor gives them gastric bypass or gives them some sort of uh, weight loss medication, or even I would say getting them to lose the weight, that's still treating the symptom because right. re- the reason why they want to lose the weight, which the weight is, is the symptom that they're experiencing is because they want to feel better. They right. want to feel more energetic. Those are the end goal. That is what you're actually trying to get to, not just the weight loss. Right. Exactly. I agree with you. Yeah, I'm really inspired by the work that you're doing, and I'm so glad that we have great doctors out there that are caring and providing actual health care to their patients. Uh, you're doing great work, too. So it's all a team, you know, even our program. Yeah. It's all, you know, I think our, the, the heart and soul for our program is a health coach. So ultimately, the physician is able to help with the medical part and mm-hmm. disease management, but I feel there's a bigger role for health coaches because ultimately the goal is to focus on overall health. Having that accountability and that partner, um, right. you know, a partner in crime as you're going through right. the daily habit changes and all of the things that are really difficult, um, it's, it's just really beneficial to have that, that one-on-one support from somebody. So I totally agree with you. And I love that our healthcare system is starting to incorporate health coaches more and more. It's really exciting. It is definitely. So I have a couple of questions that I like to ask all of the guests that come on the podcast. If you're up for it. Sure. The first one is morning routines have become really popular in the biohacking culture. And so I was wondering, do you have a morning routine? And if so, what does your morning routine include? Yeah, so I do. 
Um, so usually when I wake up in the morning, I like to spend a few minutes to myself and I like to do some meditation in the morning. I focus on my breath. That's how I started. I usually focus on my breath for a few minutes, um, you know, take it all in and you know, it's a good way for me to start my day before the whole, you know, we start getting into the realities of life. So those five, 10, 15 minutes in the morning are, are really precious for me. And then I usually go for my morning jog and morning run. Um, I mean, but it's, you know, but I think, you know, for me, more than morning, it's the day seeing patients and doing what I do gives me a lot of energy throughout the day. So yeah. Oh, I love that, right? If you if you love what you do, then you never have to work a day in your life. Exactly, right? right? <laughs> totally, exactly. So the other question, and this one is a little difficult. So um, if you have to think for a minute, no problem. Okay. Uh, but if you could provide our listeners with one piece of tangible advice that they could put into practice right now that would have the overall largest benefit for their health and wellness, um, what would that be? I think that's fairly easy and simple. I think everybody can fast and fasting should be a way of life. I always tell my patients there's a time to feast and there's a time to fast. So that's what you do. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I, I agree with you. Um, I think that there are so many benefits from fasting and I'm so glad that we got to talk about that today our listeners are interested in finding you and connecting with you or if they want to know more about your practice or what you do um, where's the best place for them to find you um, they can go to our website it's called weight0md.com or they can look us up on instagram on uh, social media on twitter on facebook we have a group you're welcome to join that and look forward to connecting out there Thanks for tuning in to the BioCurious podcast today. If you found today's episode interesting, please feel free to leave a review. And also, I would love it if you took a screenshot of the episode and shared it on your social media so that others can find the podcast too. And as always, I love connecting with all of you and getting your feedback. So if you have any comments or questions about today's episode, please feel free to send me a direct message on Instagram. My handle is biocurious underscore Kayla. Looking forward to connecting with you and I'll see you next time. Thank you.